Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. However ignorant I am, he has heard me. So in these late days, I can dare undertake such a holy and wonderful work. In this way, I can imitate somewhat those whom the Lord foretold would announce his gospel and witness to all nations before the end of the world. This is what we see has been fulfilled. Look at us. We are witnesses that the gospel has been preached right out to where there is nobody else there. This is from St. Patrick. And welcome to a St. Patrick's Day edition of This Week in Church History, which this week we will celebrate St. Patty's Day on the 17th of March. Now, as someone of Irish descent, Dr. McMullen? All Americans claim to be of Irish we, descent. We can claim, but there's very few Irish spelling Yeats's around. Uh, we've got a pretty good one here. McMullen, you're going to make your claim too, right? Uh, it's not a claim. My grandfather was Irish. There you go. My father was Scottish, and uh, I'm British. <laughs> this makes for a great Britain, right? Yes. <laughs> well, let's talk about St. Patrick today. Well, we can't call him saint. We can't. No. Why? Well, he was never canonized. Yes, but all people who are followers of Christ are saints, right? We are. We're all set aside and holy, but not with a capital S. Not with a capital S. No. So small s, St. Patrick. Uh, as uh, we celebrate uh, in American culture, there's a lot of myth and legend that go around. Patrick. Yeah, he he never drank green beer, um, and uh, he didn't drive out the snakes from Ireland um, because <laughs> there were never any snakes in Ireland. Um, I, I think it's a, a, a kind of a retelling of a tale that um, he drove out the devils from Ireland, so maybe that's the best way we can think of that. Yeah, for those of us in Kansas City, we're, we drive out the snakes from Ireland by going down the streets of North Kansas City on St. Patrick's Day parade, whatever they do here. It's kind of, it's kind of different. When I lived in Chicago, they dyed the, the river green on St. Patty's Day. I mean, it's, it's interesting how much we've ported onto uh, this date a lot of stuff. Yeah, and, and we do that and then we forget who he really was, a, a humble missionary that um, returned to the country that had originally taken him as a slave from his own country. It, it's an amazing story of grace. It's a huge story of grace. And let, let's talk about the, the challenging uh, part of his upbringing. Now, uh, even when I was young, any Growing up a Baptist, uh, there there weren't a lot of individuals within uh, kind of Catholicism that you would talk about. And you talk about St. Patrick, and it was like, oh, we, we don't need to deal with, uh, you know, kind of a Catholic person. Um, and then, of course, with all of these things we've talked about that we've added on to the, the bigger picture, uh, this idea of this missionary, that one of the—this amazing missionary uh, who really does bring the gospel in a very difficult way— starts with just kind of a humble kid. Uh, how does he even get to Ireland for the first time? Yeah, and, and I mean, one thing we, we maybe should say as context is, you know, this is a period in Britain 
um, of, of, you know, the Celts, uh, of Celtic life, uh, Celtic peoples. Um, and, um, you know, th these are uh, Romano-Brits who um, had, had been Celts as their background and, and then the Roman Empire has come in and, and they've kind of uh, adapted their lives. But they have a strong heritage of their own Christianity, um, of, of Celtic Christianity that was much closer uh, to the gospel um, than how we would view Roman Catholic Christianity, mm -hmm. I think, with the, the trappings and the ceremony and everything else. Celtic Christianity was much more, uh, you know, basic, much more um, centered around the gospel and scripture. Yeah, so I was going to say, this Celtic Christianity, uh, maybe we need to even pause and back up for some of our listeners. You're talking about Romans and Britain. What are you What are you talking about? I don't remember that from my history books, right? Yeah, so, you know, if we talk about the Celts, the Celts were a, a people in, in Central Europe, Northern Europe, Germanic areas. Um, they are beaten back by the Romans. Uh, Gaul, which... Um, becomes France was a center of Celtic life, but but mainly the Celts end up in England, Scotland, Wales, and, and Ireland. They're on the fringes of the Roman Empire. Uh, they're very tough, very warlike, uh, probably where red hair comes from. Mm -hmm. um, they're a tough people, and, and the Roman Empire has moved through Europe with incredible success, but never able to con you know, conquer completely uh, the Celtic peoples. And, and so they become, you know, really the kind of um, the, the British people who will then adapt when the Roman Empire invades Britain properly. Mm. And, and so you have these um, peoples who uh, adapt in customs and become Romano-British, but you still have Celts beyond Hadrian's Wall. You still have Celts in Wales and in Cornwall and in Ireland who are outside of the Roman Empire. And so when we start talking about Patrick and, and trying to contextualize this a little bit, we're talking about uh, massive people movements. Yeah. We're talking about the extent of the Roman Empire, which goes through modern Britain and Hadrian's Wall there at the kind of the border between Scotland yes. and, and England ha had already been built. And so when, when we see about uh, Patrick being born somewhere around the year 387, uh, there's a well-established Christian tradition that has come through the expansion of the Roman Empire, uh, even within that context. So Patrick, even as a, as a young man, has been exposed to Christianity. Yeah, and, and um, you know, we believe that he wasn't a Christian as a teenager, he was probably nominal in his faith. We know that the, we, uh, we know the gospel had penetrated into Scotland uh, because even Tertullian in the year 200 tells us that in areas in Britain beyond Roman sway, the gospel mm -hmm. was proclaimed and flourished. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there is Patrick or Patricius living in... Um, you know, what, what is today the, the area of Dumbarton near Glasgow um, at, at, toward the end of the 4th century. And uh, so he's outside the borders of the empire, and yet even in his day, the empire is collapsing. Right. 
So when you have these raiders that come, um, originally from Ireland, but then much later you'll have the Scandinavian invaders uh, coming to Britain, uh, you have no Roman Empire now to stop them. The Roman soldiers have gone. And so Patrick is basically being a young man. He's, he's out working, and these invaders come and capture him and take him off to be a slave. Yeah, he's taken to Ireland um, against his will, um, and, and he will work for uh, a pretty cruel chieftain mm-hmm. um, in, in what is Northern Ireland today. And so as he goes, uh, he's just kind of experiencing a, a horrible life as, uh, as a young man. Um, how, how does he escape? How does he get out of this? For those six years that he's there, uh, he tells us that um, he, his search for the real God um, happens in earnest. And, and he spends most of those six years tending pigs, but will spend a lot of it in prayer. And uh, he recounts in, in his own writings that uh, he hears a voice, and, and the voice tells him that um, uh, he will soon leave the land and return home. And, and the voice even tells him how to do this, where the ship will be and, and the path mm-hmm. of escape. And he believes that really is God's voice to him at the time that's needed. And so he escapes and he follows the, the guidance of this voice that he hears while he's in prayer. And it all is true. And he goes back home and he sees his family and, and connects, but he goes back to Ireland. I mean, he's the this this key voice that supposedly wins Ireland to Christ. So the same people who captured him, he goes back to to be with? Yeah, and it isn't that just typical of, of what God does. Um, this horrific experience for this teenager um, who then is brought to God through such an horrific event um, and, and meets God personally and, and is saved in the language that we would understand he has this relationship with God. Um, he doesn't tell us much about what happens in the intervening period um, of him escaping home, um, it, it does seem to take several years. Uh, it, it seems to have uh, involved a journey through France and, and maybe some uh, theological training mm-hmm. in, in the south of France, but then he does head home and, and uh, believes that, you know, as the years pass, that God is calling him to be a missionary back to the people that enslaved him. And it's a same kind of vision, right? Yes. He, he has a he has a vision yes. where he's given a uh, a letter, and at the top of the letter, uh, according to Patrick, was uh, a phrase, "the voice of the Irish," and he says that he then sees the very uh, people uh, and hears their voices that had once imprisoned him, crying out with one voice. He says, "We appeal to you, holy servant boy, to come and walk among us." And that was the invitation that he thought was enough for him to leave and to head to Ireland to begin to preach the gospel. Yeah, and, and at this point, to be a bishop meant that you were a missionary. Yep. Um, he, he probably is in his mid-40s at this point. Um, 
he is not the first missionary to Ireland. Uh, the Pope has already sent one um, at the point where he was probably escaping from Ireland, maybe at that point, uh, a man called Palladius. Palladius um, has not been very successful in what he uh, was seeking to do, and it seems that uh, Patrick would take his place and become the new missionary there. And so as he goes, what does he experience as uh, he kind of reflects on the culture, on, on everything? Was it just all four-leaf clovers and shamrocks? Yes. And um, of course, we, we, <laughs> we have no way of knowing historically whether he used the clover um, to describe or define the Trinity. But uh, what we do know is that um, uh, he was a real man of prayer. Prayer permeates uh, his writings, the confessions, um, uh, the, the desire to, to win people to Christ, that they would know Christ in the same way that he did, um, is, is the reason why he goes back. Um, he knows about the, the way that Ireland is organized, about the, the clan system, about the chiefs. And, and his plan is to witness to the chiefs of the clans, and if he can win them to Christ, then they will have an influence on their own peoples in those clans. And, and uh, God blesses what he does in Ireland. And so all of these individuals start coming to, to faith in Christ, and it's, it's, it's handed down by generations about uh, exactly uh, how much uh, he, he, he was able to accomplish, according to uh, 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 later works, uh, we were told uh, from the seventh century and on that that he baptized thousands of people. Um, his own confessions, though, his own confessio uh, doesn't really give kind of those numbers. It doesn't talk about those kinds of things. It just talks about him uh, testifying and and uh, sharing the gospel with people. Yeah, they're much more realistic. They're they don't have the hagiography that's um, later attributed to him. Uh, so again, depending on which legend you read, he's either empty in Ireland of evil and sin in the form of demons, or it's the snakes. Yeah. And he was beaten. We know that he talks about being imprisoned, being held, uh, it, it, even possibly for execution. Uh, that uh, he he uh, had all of these difficult challenges uh, overall that weren't uh, weren't easy because as he's preaching the gospel as he does so it is in opposition to all of the cultural components uh, of the day and so you would expect resistance from those that he is witnessing to yeah he one of his um, main targets will be the very reason why he's there, slavery. Mm -hmm. and, and it's said that he really is the first Christian to go on record as opposing slavery. And, and he writes about it, he speaks about it, and, and he, you know, there is a letter that exists that uh, I, I believe most scholars now say that uh, he is the genuine author. Uh, it was written to a, a British tyrant called Caroticus, and uh, he carried off some of Patrick's converts into slavery. Mm. And, and so Patrick actually excommunicates him. 
uh, to show how dreadful a thing slavery actually is. Mm. Well, of course, you're going to face massive opposition for such a thing. Ireland, a lot of it was built on this idea that you could simply go and, and capture peoples who will work for you for nothing. And even when you think about uh, the animistic religions that were very much a part of uh, Irish uh, culture through the Druids and other religious groups that were there, he's trying to missiologically engage them with the truth of the Word of God and trying to show them that Jesus alone saves, that it's not nature, it's not uh, some of these other uh, components. Yeah, the Druids were uh, you know, a very powerful force. They were well-educated, they uh, practiced uh, some forms of, of magic and all kinds of superstitious things, and, and they certainly had influence because uh, they were the acknowledged advisors to Irish kings. Mm. And so to go against the Druids was really a very dangerous thing to do. It, it's no wonder that he records the many perils that he faced uh, because of that. It's almost like uh, Moses going up against the uh, magicians in Egypt. Right. Yes. So for those of us as, uh, as Protestants and even as Baptists, uh, what can we redeem from Patrick? Is there anything here from our cultural picture of Patrick that we should be redeeming? Um, we should remember Patrick as uh, a man who uh, acted on his call uh, to evangelize, even to the very people um, who'd done him evil. Right. Uh, we should uh, certainly see him as an example of a continuous prayer um, it, it really was a central thing for him, his, his love for Scripture, um, his love for uh, doing good to see the gospel affect in society, even the very basic thing like slavery, but you know how the gospel can impact our culture today, to not be afraid to stand up for what's right because you're doing it in Christ's name. Um, uh, uh, an openness to believe that God... Um, will use us if we're willing to be used, and that he will still speak to us. He, he will use a variety of means to do that, especially through his own word. Mm -hmm. and, and if we don't have God's word hidden in our hearts, then, you know, how can God so easily then use his own word to actually uh, come to life in our own hearts and spirits? I think that's a, a great thing that we find in Patrick too. So, uh, that is actually a great point for us to kind of close our conversation uh, this week. Uh, I, but with this great encouragement um, from uh, Patrick, uh, from his confessions, where he said this, For daily I expect to be murdered or betrayed or reduced to slavery if the occasion arises. But I fear nothing because of the promises of heaven, for I have cast myself into the hands of the Almighty God who reigns everywhere. As the prophet says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. Listeners, we hope that this is your prayer as well for your life and that you would go and celebrate the goodness of our Lord in uh, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to This Week in Church History. We'll see you next week.